Welcome to the Display the Gospel podcast, a place where we will explore topics related to the Christian life in order to demonstrate and declare the gospel as followers of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Display the Gospel podcast. My name is Brett Ricely, and I've got Ross with me again today. Say hello, Ross. Good morning, Brett. Happy to have a chat with you this morning. Absolutely. Good to have you back uh, on the podcast. It's always fun. Uh, enjoy having these kind of conversations. And so today we are doing part two of our conversation about idolatry and the idols of our heart. And so if you haven't listened to part one, I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one because the things that we're going to talk about today may not make as much sense uh, if you haven't listened to part one. So go check that out on displaythegospel.com and you can find the podcast there and listen to part one about idols. And so part two today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, a couple of different aspects of idolatry or the idols in our life, specifically kind of how those idols grow or kind of what feeds those idols or what keeps those idols kind of alive, so to speak. Or, um, and so um, I will give the audience, you guys who are listening, just a quick definition again of, of idolatry or the, kind of to help you remember what we're talking about. So an idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. And that came from uh, Brad Bigney, who wrote the book Gospel Treason, which was published by PNR Publishing in 2012. And so that's kind of our working definition of an idol. But, but uh, Ross, we were talking about some other dynamics with this that I think would be helpful for our listeners. And so why, why don't you share uh, some of those thoughts that you kind of had that we've been talking about on this? Sure. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of um, reintroducing that definition that you and I have been working off of, uh, of what an idol is. I think, I think that's useful in helping shape the conversation and, and, and contain what, what an idol is and, and how it affects us. Um, as you read through God's word, you know, it's full of idolatry, but I think perhaps um, the biggest or, or brightest example of that would be uh, found in Isaiah 14, uh, where it's discussing Lucifer, and it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. It's talking about Lucifer or Satan. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So as you're looking at Lucifer's heart there, you can see that it no longer satisfied or delighted him to um, have his affections for the Lord or to delight in the Lord or to shine the glory of the Lord. Instead, he desired to elevate his own light, his own glory. Um, and in that, you really see a picture of what what's a, the first or a great example of spiritual warfare yeah. um, at that level. Yeah. And what a what a profound scripture uh, to start this conversation with. I mean, uh, uh, him wanting to have more power, to have more authority, to put himself in a place of the most high. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty strong language. and It's a pretty strong concept. Um, and yet I think if we're honest, 
the heart inside of each of us desires to do the same thing. Uh, we, we, whether we want to admit it or not, or even acknowledge it or not, or recognize it or not, all of us have this, this, uh, this brokenness in us because of the sin nature that we have, even as redeemed people of God, we still struggle with sin. And so that desire is constantly wanting to basically make us the center of everything. It's wanting to make us the center of the world. It wants us to, uh, to, it wants to put God in a place where he's at our service rather than we're at his service. And so, you know, one of the ideas that, that has really been impressed upon me as I've been working through my own idols is that my idols are primarily driven and rooted in entitlement, um, uh, wanting something or feeling like I am owed something by God or others. And when I don't get that, uh, it, it, it causes me to freak out or it causes me to sin or it causes me to struggle or worry or whatever. And so that's a, a tangible example of that, you know, in ministry, I talked about in part one, you know, one of my idols and, and by idol, again, I mean, you know, a, a thing that I am tempted to give more time and affection and concern to than God is ministry. I'm a pastor and have been for 12 years. And so uh, I pour my life into that and it's my passion and I, I, the things that God has gifted me to do, and that's all great. But when I struggle with idols, primarily I'm struggling with that sense of entitlement that I'm doing all this for God. Therefore, I'm entitled to his praise and I'm doing this for the church and for other people. So therefore, I'm entitled to their praise. I'm entitled to their affirmation. I'm entitled to, to them looking at me and say, wow, Brett, you're really great. Wow, what a great leader. Oh, wow, you are just awesome. You know, and that feeds that idol in me um, unintentionally. So even when people give me compliments and stuff, I have to be very guarded in my mind about saying, thank you. I appreciate that. And I really respect that people want to encourage me, but I also have to battle to say, don't let that go too far deep into your heart and don't let that stew in there to say, yeah, you really are something special. You know, you should be elevated higher, you know? And so that, that's a, just a relevant practical example for me of how, our flesh is constantly wanting to make everything about us. And the reality is everything's not about us. Everything's about Jesus and everything's about the kingdom of God and about uh, following him and serving him and getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and so um, I, ironically, the things that we are, even good things, you know, idols can be good things or good things can become idols, excuse me. But those things can distract us as well as the church from accomplishing the mission, accomplishing personal transformation. Um, so I think that's a relevant danger for all of us, wouldn't you say, Ross? Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about um, when you work in ministry and this desire or this this the sense that it's about you at times um, and struggling and fighting that. Um, I definitely get that. Coming from a coming at it as a lay person or from the laity, um, I would say I've seen a lot of that too in my own life and in others. I would say as I look at people who have left churches that I've belonged to, for the most part, it's, Ross, I have poured everything into this and it just seems like nobody cares or nobody knows me. Mm-hmm. And it really is this sense that they are not getting a return on investment for whatever it is they're putting into the church or into their good works or whatever. And so then they just, they're just defeated and I'm just going to give up on whatever it is. And 
I think when you have a role that is, I want to bring glory to the Lord of infinite worth and value, um, there is not that disappointment. There is not that sense of this did not do what I thought it would do. Um, And so I think as we look at ministry, whether it's from my perspective uh, as a layperson or your person in an ordained ministry, I think there, there does need to be a constant refreshing of what am I doing this for? Yeah. And then when you're feeling empty, there's encouragement there knowing that you're, you're not getting, you know, you're not getting stiffed on the deal. <laughs> it's, it's about something greater than you in your credit. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. And that, that really is good. You know, another passage that comes to mind is James four. Um, and James is talking about, I'll just read a couple of verses here too. I think that, you know, as we think, I guess, as we're talking about the context of the church and ministry and, and followers of Christ, um, if we're not careful to identify these idols and to, through the power of the spirit, work through those things and allow him to transform us from the inside out, it really can not only hamper or hinder us in our own personal transformation, but it really can hinder the church. And so James four, you know, one through three says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And the point of what James is trying to say there, and he goes on to say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble in that same passage, in that same context. And so what's interesting is that the very desires and the self-centeredness, the entitlement, the things that are in me that are waging war, uh, that comes out in the context of relationships with other people. Um, and so what causes fights, what causes anger, it's, it's the sin behind the sin, you know, of my anger is a sin, but what's behind that, you know, or my frustration with other people in the church. Well, what's behind that? Oftentimes it's something in me that's warring to get, praise or attention, or I want to be right, or I want to be listened to, or (laughs) I want my opinion to be the opinion that everyone accepts, you know, or whatever the case might be. Or, and so I think that's a, an important aspect of this to recognize as well is that us struggling with idols, it isn't just isolated to it being a problem in our own lives, but it also will very quickly overflow or almost leak out of us. And that's where we see a lot of the tension, even in churches or in our own life with relationships with our spouses or kids is uh, our reactions are sometimes an an overwhelming response to us not dealing with our idols. And that's going to directly have an effect on the people in our life as well. Yeah. I mean, like you said, whether you're talking about marriage or parenting or work or ministry, uh, when you have that, that sort of fragile ego or you're so easily stepped on that really shows what it is that you're valuing or what's capturing your heart or your affections. Um, and so I, I, I think it's, um, I think that's very instructive. Of course, as you pointed out in, in part one and, and, and touched on in this as well, it can be difficult because it would be easy for me to say, put a righteous spin on whatever it is, the position that I'm taking, but deep in my heart, it really is about me and, and, and my significance and my image. I think that one thing that's humbling is this idea that 
we at our core, at our root, are so depraved that we couldn't do anything, not even an iota of righteousness or goodness on our own. Yeah. And so anything that we do that is truly for him, that is truly righteous, is only through his grace. Yeah. And so that takes away from us the sense of entitlement or or self-worth that uh, we deserve something because we see it as from him. And I think that helps build this heart of humility and unity. Mm. That's really good. That's really good. You know, another quote from Brad Bigney, you know, in his book, Gospel Treason was, he wrote, my depravity far outweighs my deprivation. So my depravity far outweighs my deprivation, meaning uh, I am far more depraved in, dep- in, in my nature than I am in the sense of what am I losing? What am I being deprived of? Well, nothing. I mean, again, I, it's, it, the problem is not with who does, who's not giving me what I want or what I think I need. That's not the core problem. The core problem is my depravity and my sinfulness and my brokenness. And as we talk about idols and as, you know, for our listeners, as you're thinking about this in your own life, which I would encourage you to do, is to think through what, what idols do you think you have? What, what areas of your life or what things or people do you give more time, energy, effort, and affection to than God? Um, yes. And to recognize that, that that's a great question to ask, reflect on, but also to know that um, you're a broken person, just like me and Ross and other people, and that the gospel really is the answer to that. That not only, yes, you were saved, but now that you're being redeemed and sanctified in that, and that as we come to know the Lord and press into him and, and love him and his, he is the place of our greatest satisfaction, we will find that he, he hopefully in our desires for him far outweigh our desires for anything else. Um, and, but that's, that's an ongoing battle every day. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, there are so many competing things in our hearts. And I think that's why, you know, time in prayer where we're elevating his worth, looking to heaven, time in the word where we're elevating yeah. his worth, his words, his, kind of his direction for our lives. I think that helps put us in a mindset um, that can be humble before him and humble before others. No, that's good. Well, uh, I think we're going to wrap up part two here today by just saying, you know, if, if you really spend some time thinking about your idols today, uh, what they might be, and then really press into what are some ways that you can feed your affection for God. And so Ross, I'll give you the last word on that. You know, I've already kind of said a few things, but you know, other suggestions or comments or encouragement to feeding our affection for the Lord to hopefully stoke that fire far more than the fires of the, what our idols and what our hearts are constantly uh, looking for. Yeah, it's tough because anything I say is something you ought to do. Time in the word, time in prayer, memorizing God's word, meeting with others to talk about what he's doing in your life. All these things are great things. Of course, yeah. we can make all of these things legalistic. And wow, hey, look, I got up early this morning and spent my time <laughs> in quiet time. So yeah. look how great I am. <laughs> and so there really is this, this sense that we just need to tremble before, before the Lord and plead, you know, hum- yeah. humbly for his grace in our life. So uh, I, I would say just um, asking that he would have lordship over us and, 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 and really meaning that and then giving him that lordship and obedience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so as we wrap this up today, you know, as you seek to demonstrate and declare the gospel and display that in your life, 
you know, uh, let the word of God be foundational. Let that transform your mind from the inside out. And then as God works with you on that, we believe he will transform you and you will find victory in that as he's faithful. He is faithful to, to complete the work that he started. Uh, he's faithful to teach you and guide you by his word, by his Holy spirit. And so, um, self-awareness is often the first step (laughs) being aware that there's a problem, taking that to the Lord and then walking with him as he transforms you. So, um, grateful that we could have this conversation again today, Ross, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find a wealth of resources, including free downloads, videos, book recommendations, sermons, training opportunities, and more at my website, www.displaythegospel.com.